Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. Live, or almost, from Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn, eight hours ahead in London, England. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're serving up a perfectly packable breakfast for mornings on the go, apple pie bars. We'll also review our lemon drizzle cake from last week and step into the gadget garage to discuss voltage adapters and some other handy items. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I know we normally discuss in advance new segment ideas, but I'm just going to toss one out here and see if you'll go for it. Okay. Yes. I have an idea for a new segment. I'm hoping it not to be a recurring segment, but I want to be honest with our listeners about what's really going on in our kitchens. And the idea of my name for this segment is Almost Edible. Mm, Love it. Yes. Got to do it. Does this mean you've had an almost edible experience recently? Indeed it does. I, as you know, as our listeners know, one thing we all love to do is make banana bread. And is there anything easier than banana bread? Almost no. I think, almost no. I think, uh, unfortunately, that led to some overconfidence on my part. So I was using the recipe that I usually use. It's from Smitten Kitchen. It's called Jacked Up Banana Bread. And I think it's just jacked up because she throws in a little more sugar and some bourbon, which is fine by me. Yes. Um, two things that I think led to my my failure on this one. The first, and this has been talked about in our Facebook group a bit, the price of butter here has really been going high. So the butter that I normally buy, and it's in the the sticks, and it's an organic butter, and it's at our co-op, it's usually around $5, you know, for a box. And last time I went there was $8.69. Oh, my gosh. Andy, and, I had no idea it was that bad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm butter, not gonna, For a pound of for butter. A pound. A pound oh. of butter, the regular brand I always buy of organic unsalted butter. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. Yes. And instead, they had they had a bulk butter that was about four dollars, still organic, st- you know, still same thing, but it wasn't pre wrapped in four sticks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, clearly that's the way to go. I got that. And now the Smitten Kitchen recipes don't have the gram conversions on them. You know, they're designed for tablespoons. And so I can't remember off the top of my head how many tablespoons it is in this particular banana bread recipe. You know, maybe it's six or maybe it's seven. But I decided I could just eyeball it because, you know, I make this all the time and I know what six tablespoons of butter looks like. So I put the butter and I always melt that, that particular recipe, the butter is melted. And I always use the same little container to melt my butter. So my first clue that I might have overestimated was when I looked at the butter all melted, I kind of know about where it usually fills to in this little cast iron bowl that I use. And instead, it was almost to the rim. And I thought, oh, I overjudged on the butter. But I just tossed it in blindly because I thought, well, you know, butter's good and a little extra butter never hurt anyone. 
Then it came to the bourbon, which, by the way, is optional in the recipe. So it's not even a required ingredient. And you're supposed to use one tablespoon. And again, overconfidence and a bit of laziness. I thought, I don't need to get a tablespoon measure dirty. I can just pour from the bottle (laughs) into the... (laughs) I think... As I poured, I think I might have poured a quarter cup and maybe even more. Yours was super jacked. I mean, I had super jacked banana bread. And I I knew I was going to have a problem when I was pouring it into the loaf pan. I mean, it just, the smell, you know, was like, (laughs) wow, there is a lot of bourbon in this. I put it in the oven. It's one of those recipes that's 55 to 60 minutes. And I put it in at 60. I checked it at 60. It was still damp in the middle. I did it another 10 minutes. It was still damp. I did it another five minutes. I finally thought, okay, I got to pull this. I let it sit for quite a while. And when I cut it up, it was just kind of putting like consistency in the Mm -hmm. middle. And even though, you know, all the alcohol is supposed to bake off when you're cooking, it just had such a strong rum flavor that I am sorry to say that is the first batch of banana bread I have had to toss. So, Oh, oh, so disappointing, especially with the butter being so expensive. I know. I know. So lessons learned. So if we're going to do an almost edible segment, I feel it important that we we learn and grow from this. So lessons learned is even if you make a recipe continually, when it comes to baking, measure. Do not eyeball (laughs) main key ingredients. Um, Sure, it's fine to, you know, do a pinch of salt or something like that. But when it comes to something as important as the butter, do not eyeball it. That's my lesson. So I promise to be better on that next time. And in fact, I made some uh, banana bread this morning that turned out beautifully. And I measured everything. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same as just cooking, like pinch of this, pinch of that. Think that'll be a splash of vinegar would be good here. It's a chemistry experiment. And it has to align. Yes. So, um, yes. oh, well, I love the new segment. I'm sorry about your 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 <laughs> banana bread. But you know what, Andrea? Speaking of boozy treats, uh, as you know, <laughs> as you know, our first anniversary of this show, Preheated, is coming up in November, rapidly approaching. And we would love it, listeners, if you would let us know what your favorite recipe has been over the past year. And, of course, one of the things we tackled very early on was our macadamia nut fruit cake, which was just liberally on purpose soaked in rum. So perhaps that was a favorite for you or also our boozy eggnog, uh, old fashioned rice pudding. There's all kinds of things we've tackled over this year and we would love to compile a list of listener favorites. So you can shoot us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or you can use the links or post on our Facebook, our Facebook group, a page and let us know. So would love to to hear what you would vote your uh, blue ribbon toward in our first year. We can't wait to hear what you guys found memorable. This week, we are reviewing our lemon drizzle cake that we introduced last week in episode 44. And this is a uh, loaf cake. So it's more like a zucchini bread or a banana bread. So any of you who, like me, still find cakes a bit intimidating, relax. This recipe could not be easier. And um, it is all made in one bowl. So for me, that was the most exciting part of this recipe. (laughs) 
Uh, because again, I just I just love one bowl recipes. I, I think they just make me so much happier. And I just love that the first line is put all cake ingredients except for the lemon zest into a large mixing bowl, you know, so it's even um, better when you see that you've only got about eight ingredients and they just all go in there at once. So it's your butter, your sugar, your self-rising flour, your baking powder, a pinch of salt, some eggs, and a little bit of whole milk, um, and then that lemon zest that they mentioned. So all of that gets mixed right in. Um, it does have self-raising, or as I like to think of it, self-rising flour, which I did not have. So I looked up some conversions, and what they said was a one cup of flour plus one and a half teaspoons of baking powder is the equivalent of self-rising flour. So this recipe already had one teaspoon of baking powder, but I added another teaspoon and a half, mm -hmm. and it already had a pinch of salt, and that was the other thing that was part of making your own self-raising flour was a quarter teaspoon or a little pinch of salt um, to every cup. So I, I increased the salt by a little bit, and then I did the extra teaspoon and a half of baking powder to make the self-raising flour. Okay. And... Yep. Then you um, thoroughly combine all of that. You pour it into your loaf pan. Now, the loaf pan is supposed to be lined in parchment, and I did not do that, although I normally do line things in parchment. So who knows why I decided to skip that instruction. And um, But I, I did purchase, finally, uh, you only recommended it about six months ago. I'm not sure what took me so long, but I finally got some Baker's Joy cooking spray. And I did put that all in the inside of the loaf pan. So it, it, it turned out quite nicely. So it wasn't a problem at all. Um, and then I just baked that for it, the recipe instruction said 30 to 35 minutes. I think I checked it at 30 and I felt like it was still a little bit indented in the middle. So I did the extra five minutes and then, you know, I, I did put a skewer in and it came out clean. Uh, so I decided at that point that it was good to go. And then you pull it out, and um, I love the way these instructions read. You um, Once the cake has baked, remove it from the oven and, oven and stab it all over with the skewer. <laughs> I thought, wow, they're kind of violent there. Get your aggression um, out on your lemon drizzle cake. Yeah, so I enjoyed stabbing my cake while it's still hot. Uh, you know, so often you have to wait for a cake to cool before you frost it. So that was another thing I loved about this is while it's still hot, you stab it, and then you pour that um, lemon drizzle, lemon syrup on top, which is just a mixture of sugar and lemon juice. And... Um, it just poured right on top, and then I, that's when I got nervous, and I thought, oh, no, I didn't do that parchment paper. I'm pouring this sticky syrup into this pan. Is it going to be completely stuck? But it popped out so easily, and we ate it straight out of the oven while it was still warm. My husband and my daughter, after their first bite, were both saying, this is the best thing I've ever had. This is so amazing. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe this. I thought the same thing as well. Um, I took half of it over to my next door neighbor. They had some friends visiting from out of town. And um, I got an hour later a text from both the husband and the wife, which is unusual, oh you know. And the husband said, this is the most amazing pound cake I have ever had. And the wife said, this is the best lemon pound cake I had ever had. So I thought it was interesting. They both thought it was pound cake. You know, we just don't have that drizzle, drizzle cake connection. Right. So... 14 thumbs up uh, oh. in terms of 
ease of making, in terms of deliciousness. There is zero leftover, although I'm quite certain if there was any, this would be equally as good at breakfast. Um, What was your experience like with the lemon drizzle cake? Well, I've made this true confession. I've made this one several times, so it's a recipe I knew I could recommend going in, and I'm so thrilled that you had such a great experience with it. The flavor is just so, so vibrant, and that comes because you put the zest of two lemons into the batter, and then you soak it with, you know, I I measured my juice this time. For two lemons, I got just a really generous third of a cup of juice. So that's how much lemon juice you are pouring over when it's hot, it's soaking into that cake, it is so moist. It doesn't last in my house. It doesn't. We're just all huge citrus fans anyway. It is more like a zucchini loaf, so I can just um, convince myself that it's not really cake. <laughs> Have it kind of any time, as many slices as I want. I love it. I love it too. I'm so happy that it it was so well received in, in your family and with your friends and yeah, it's it's just such a great cake and so easy to come together. You can really um, you can really do it on the spur of the moment if you've got those those lemons. Um, one thing, just I, I think we've talked about this before too, but um, you can freeze lemon zest pretty well. So if you're using lemons for another recipe that doesn't need the rind, I, I always go ahead and zest those off and stick it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the freezer. So you always have lemon zest on hand. Um, just a little tip there. And yes, I, and you yeah. you had given me that tip and I had never tried that before. And I, I did do it shortly after you mentioned that. The one thing I had a little bit of problem with is some of the zest, it seems frozen in clumps. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I need to pull it out and kind of de- let it let it thaw a little bit and sort of declump it so that it's not, you know, you're not getting a big chunk of lemon zest in the recipe. So that's, I did use some of the frozen lemon zest, but I, I need to let it thaw a little bit next time. Yeah, or sometimes if I don't have it thawed all the way, I kind of, um, with clean fingers, just like rub it like you when you're working flour and butter together you know that motion like oh, with the okay. tips of your fingers okay. just kind of like that and sprinkle it and that that sometimes works too oh but, good idea okay. Um, okay and you know the only modification i make in this recipe is that i like to dissolve the the lemon juice and the sugar for that glaze that pour over glaze i just like to microwave it or you could certainly do this in a stovetop pan i just feel like i'm more confident that that sugar is fully dissolving uh, she says that the citrus will do that work on the sugar itself, and it probably is fine. Um, I just like to take that little extra time and, and heat it up and uh, make sure that the sugar's nice and nice and worked into that lemon juice. But other than that, love this recipe. This is from Deliciously Vintage from Victoria Glass, and maybe we'll have to look for some more recipes from this book because it was, yeah, super winner. No. It was really great. And thank you for giving me the English conversions, (laughs) since this is a British cookbook. That was really nice to have all the tablespoons and the cups and that type of thing. Well, I can't take credit. Victoria kindly does that herself. So I was, yep. So I was just um, reprinting there what, uh, what she has, but it is, it is really nice. Um, And also, you know what, It's, it's seven tablespoons of butter. And I, I don't understand exactly why recipe developers do this. To me, if there's an if there's a way to turn that into a cup portion, I would rather do it. And so seven tablespoons, listeners, is a quarter cup plus three tablespoons. Instead of like measuring out seven tablespoons, I'd rather do like one bigger unit, you know? 
I, okay. I don't, it's, maybe yeah. it's just a style choice or something, but anyway, now, you know, the math, I did it for you. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, the other thing I was thinking about this recipe is if you weren't just in love with lemons, I happen to be, but I thought, you know, this would be equally as good with orange. You could do the same thing with the orange zest and the orange juice and make an orange cake. Yep, it's also really good with lime. I have a very similar recipe that has um, some corn cornmeal in it. So it's like a cornmeal. I think it's actually called a polenta cake, but the idea is essentially the same. And it's actually a lemon and lime. And that's so good, too. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I am always on the lookout for lemon recipes because my in-laws have that beautiful lemon tree in their backyard in Arizona. And whenever I visit them, I come home with a suitcase full of lemons. So anything that uses lemons, I love. So I was thrilled at how wonderful and how easy this cake turned out. Yay, success, success. Well, we are going to introduce our final packable snack. We won't be reviewing this recipe, but we will talk about it and hope that you bake along with us. It is an apple pie breakfast bar, and we wanted to do a packable snack that you could take in the mornings if you are rushing out of the house and need a grab-and-go breakfast. I love the idea of a cookie for breakfast, and these don't honestly seem that far-fetched. They are <laughs> they are very full of really, really good things. It's essentially, essentially an oatmeal cookie. You've got some old-fashioned oats, some quick oats, some flax, a little salt, apple pie spice, um, some apple sauce, coconut sugar or maple syrup. I'm not sure what coconut sugar is, Andrea. Do you know what that one is? I do. And I've been using it. I buy it at our co-op. And the one thing that I have decided is that you cannot substitute coconut sugar for regular sugar measurement for measurement. So if they say a cup of regular sugar, I don't use a cup of coconut sugar. I actually um, do the weights on those because I found that uh, there's actually a significant weight difference. I think the coconut sugar is much heavier. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you can yeah, also, but I like the flavor of it. And you can also use a maple syrup there, which is likely what I will what I will do. Um, and then apple pieces, walnuts, uh, raisins are optional here. So <laughs> Thank you're you. just kind of you know making a chunky and fruity and nutty oatmeal cookie and they're oh my not gosh, that sounds good. there's no I realize these are gluten-free if your oats are past that test for you and there's no right? le- there's no leavening so these are a pretty dense uh, cookie and I th- my family is nuts for apples there's a delicious delicious applesauce we've discovered here uh, since moving to London it's called Bramley applesauce, and Bramley is a type of an apple, and it's a, just a very tart, but in a really great way, applesauce. So I'm when I try this recipe, that's the applesauce that I will be using. Um, oh, so, interesting! So interesting. Yeah, yeah. and you know, grab well, I'm your- excited. At- yeah, I was going to say I'm excited about this recipe too because we talked back a couple of episodes ago about those protein packed baked goods. And you and I were both talking about how we love the Laura bars and wouldn't it be nice to make them at home? And I feel like this is kind of one of those, those things. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's nothing outrageous here and some good healthy ingredients, good fiber to get you going in the morning. And uh, also some nice protein from the, from the nuts and the egg in there too. So yeah, that is from a blog called Lelalicious, L-E-E-L-A, 
L-I-C-I-O-U-S.com, Lelalicious. And let us know how that works out for you during these busy September mornings. Well, we are going to head on over to the Gadget Garage for a little Gadget Garage update. So listeners, as you have heard me say, I... Well, it's been, gosh, Andrea, it's going on four months. Can you believe that? We have lived in London for four months now. And I know you're almost almost a native almost. at this point. It's, I know. It's more than a quarter, more than a quarter, which is kind of sad and scary to think that, you know, in those chunks of time are going so, so fast. One problem we knew we were going to have when we were packing up our kitchen uh, gadgets in Seattle was the uh, voltage conversion from the U.S. on 110 volts to uh, 220 in England. And instead of buying all new kind of workhorse appliances like my KitchenAid and Blender, uh, things of that nature, our Cuisinart certainly, we decided to uh, buy instead something called a Step Up and Down Transformer. And I think ours was about $60 on Amazon. It's the, the brand is Gold Source. It looks like something you might find um, like a battery, like a car battery. Um, <laughs> it smells like a car battery it's, a little bit too. So. <laughs> it, it's, an, it's intense. I mean, when I saw the photo of it, I was kind of like, wow, this is mm-hmm. not just a tiny little gadget. This mm-hmm. is a, a real, um, a battery is a good description. Yeah, it, yeah, it's heavy like that too. So it's very, very heavy. And I think um, when we first moved here and I was first testing it out, I posted a video to our Facebook page. And so you can scroll back through the archives and take a look. Um, I was using it for the blender. And um, listener John had said, wow, you know, I was really expecting uh, like more like smoke and sparks and fire. And and um, there's none of that, but it, it does smell like a diesel mechanics shop. And But it works like mm. a dream. It works like a dream. So... Yay. I have to I have to plan a little bit in advance because it eats up a ton of counter space. And so if I've already got like my KitchenAid out, now I have this other thing like next to it that has to be between it and the plug. And so um, at any rate, I can't really complain because I got to bring, you know, my, my beloved KitchenAid and, and these other appliances, um, not to mention if I would have bought those things here, I would have then had the same problem going back to the States. Right. So um, really right. great to use that. Now, we haven't received an electrical bill yet, so for all we know, this is like the um, (laughs) blacking out the rest of the city when I turn my blender on, but... (laughs) I I love that you finally found a gadget that truly makes the gadget garage a gadget garage. It's so true. (laughs) The diesel fumes and the noise. It is so true. Well, it's actually very quiet. It, it itself oh, good. has a very okay. kind of low hum. Okay. So, yes, you plug it into the wall here, and then I plug my appliance into it, and, and, okay. and away you go. Um, so uh, <laughs> for anyone who is moving abroad, and in the voltage that it will work with is um, 110, 200, 220, and 240. So uh, if you have any of those needs for conversion, I really do recommend looking into one. It will save you a ton over buying new and really pricey appliances, and I've had great luck with yeah. it. So the gold source, well, Stang Transformer. Thanks for that update. Uh, moving from the high-tech to the most decidedly <laughs> low-tech, my entry into the gadget garage, I mean, almost doesn't even qualify as a gadget. It is something I discovered back when I was at my friend's house in California. We were making a Sunday night dinner, and we were doing spaghetti and meatballs. And 
we were had the meatball mixture, you know, in a big bowl, and then we're taking the meatball mixture and placing it into a cast iron pan to fry those. And at a certain point, she had me take over and she handed me this long wooden spoon. And it's about 12 inches long. So kind of your typical, you know, wooden spoon length, but the the spoon part was about the size of a tablespoon. And so it was just perfect for scooping up the amount of meat that we wanted to make our meatballs because we were making them kind of on the small side. So I was using it for that. And I normally use a um, my small size cookie scoop mm-hmm. when I'm making meatballs. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun. I was like, oh, this is actually really easy and a good way to do it. And then I noticed I was using the spoon after I was done with the meatballs and I cleaned it. I was using the spoon to taste the spaghetti sauce. It was kind of the perfect size um, to just sort of dip into your pot and taste your spaghetti sauce. And I said to her that night, like, I am just loving this spoon. It's so handy. And I'm, I'm just using it for multiple things here as we're cooking. And the next morning when I left, I had a very early morning flight, so I didn't get to say goodbye to her. But she had left me one of those spoons. It turns out she had bought them in a six pack. So she had an extra. And it was sitting on the counter with a little note. She said, here, you can have your own spoon. And I was so excited. And I I brought it home and I have just been using it for so many things. So when I knew we were doing an episode of the Gadget Garage, I thought, how do I even explain this? And so I, you know, I went to Google and I kind of typed in like, long wooden spoon (laughs) with scoop about the size of a tablespoon and up popped a website. And it turns out that what I have, which is perfectly descriptive, is called a tasting spoon. Oh, makes perfect sense. Right. And the description says, this is a favorite among cooks. Use this tasting spoon to stir and taste hot sauces and soups without getting burned. And that's exactly what I was doing when I was trying our spaghetti sauce. Um, This spoon is the perfect size and length for making the final taste test. And it's because it's wood, you know, it's not, you know, absorbing the flavors or anything. And, you know, you think about when you're tasting a soup or something, normally you use a regular soup spoon, but the handle's not long enough. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you can kind of get burned. And and this is just perfect. So I will include a link to this tasting spoon on my show notes. Uh, Shout out to my friend Carolyn for introducing this to me. And um, unlike Stefan's voltage adapter, it's only about four bucks and you don't have to plug it in. (laughs) So I think anyone can use it. We have really run the gamut in this gadget garage, haven't we? From uh, yes, yeah. (laughs) From the sous vide and what other things have we covered? All you know, all sorts of things that you can plug in and then, and then just like the really the low tech things. Right? I mean, it's sometimes yes. the simplest things that just make your life so much easier. You know, when you were describing that, I had that kind of picture of like the chef in the in the white hat and she's got her apron and she's, you know, very <gasps> having that last taste. Yes. Just sure, it's just perfect. And that's exactly what I was picturing. So no wonder. I love it. That's a really, really nice hostessy gift for cook people too. Like I could see it tied, like if you maybe liked to gift like a, your own, like for example, tomato sauce or something like that, that would be a really cute add-on to the jar or the bottle as well. I immediately thought of that same thing. I thought it would be so cute, kind of tied onto like a little kitchen towel because yes. I could always use new kitchen towels yes. and, you know, you could just tie it. And, and the only thing I would suggest is to put a little note on it saying, you know, this tasting spoon is perfect for stirring and tasting your hot sauces or soups without getting burned just because, 
you know, if someone just gave this to me and I didn't know what it was for, I think I might have been like, oh, I wonder if you use this like to stir lemonade or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure mm-hmm. I would have I would have known how to use it. So I think it's good to kind of recommend to people what it's good for. That's awesome. And you know what? As you're talking about this, we have a recipe coming up next month in October and I bet you could use it for. I won't say any more, but I wonder. I I, mm-hmm. I have a feeling. That's right. Yeah, it's perfect for dropping. It's perfect for dropping things of a certain size. So excellent. Looking forward to that. Wonderful. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we're kicking off the very festive month of October. Did you know it's National Apple, Pumpkin, Caramel, and Cookbook Month? We're on it with some fall treats sure to please. Remember, you can find us in our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on Google and Apple Podcasts. We'd love it if you subscribed to the show and also gave us a review. Both things will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.